The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Take Off with John Clark. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to them and subscribe for free. And we're talking about a Sixers second round series with ESPN's finest, Tim Legler. And Tim, of course, big five Hall of Famer from LaSalle. Tim, everybody's fired up here in Philly. How about you? Yeah, I am too. Listen, I am too. This has been a great run that they've been on this year. Unfortunately, we know we're dealing with, with JoJo's status, and hopefully we get some good news there or at least have his imprint on this series very early because the Hawks, pretty good team. I was impressed with what I saw against the Knicks, but Philly's a different animal altogether for Atlanta to defend. But I was really impressed with what they brought in that series and how effective Trey Young was against a very physical Knicks defense. Man, That guy's a legitimate star offensive player so it's going to be exciting yeah he quieted that madison square garden that was actually fun to watch so yeah. when you see joel get right out there in warm-ups before game five at the wells fargo center and he went through all of his warm-ups pretty much uh and then he was a limited participant in practice on friday does that give you some hope that he's going to try to play through this thing yeah, that gives me great hope, honestly. Uh, you know, you're still holding your breath a little bit with something like that. I had some experiences with those. This is pretty quick to come back from it. I mean, I didn't see his medical reports, but I mean, anytime you start talking about meniscal tear, that's something that typically, if you're not going to get it scoped, I mean, you could be looking at two to three weeks in a lot of cases. They went day to day almost immediately with him. That surprised me, but I also think that's very telling about what you might see out of him at the beginning of this series. And it's important because, you know, you don't want to dig yourself a hole against a team like Atlanta that right now is playing with house money. They are loosey-goosey. Nobody expected them to be in the second round of the playoffs going into the season. Heck, two months ago they didn't expect this before they made the coaching move. And this is a team now that's got an awful lot of confidence. The last thing you want to do is let them come in and get one early because Embiid's not there. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's interesting. I think I heard you say you've dealt with something like this. So somebody with the Sixers told me it's a very small lateral meniscus tear. Thank God it's not the medial. Um, and, and that if he can manage the pain and it doesn't worsen that hopefully with PT and treatment, he should be able to be okay and play through it. Have you had an experience like that before playing through it? I have. And you're hundred percent right about the medial issue because that completely limits your ability to slide laterally. And obviously as a basketball player, you can't do it. You saw even last night with Anthony Davis trying to play through a groin pull 
first time he tried to slide laterally and guard somebody, boom, there it is. And he's out for the night. So yes, I've dealt with that. And typically when I've had it, most of mine, unfortunately were after a major knee injury and it was all related to that. So it was always cleaning it up over the next four years after I tore my, my ACL and MCL, it was four years of scopes. So I always had it arthroscopically repaired. They go in, they, they trim a little bit out over a period of time. It really re reduces your ability to have shock absorbers in there. That's not what we're talking about here. It sounds pretty minor, but the guy is a physical freak. He's putting a lot of force on that, a lot more torque than a lot of people would. So it's still something to be concerned about. But, man, I know the Philadelphia crowd is going to be very excited if they see Joel Embiid out there going through warm-ups uh, full speed on Sunday. Yeah, so the Sixers are 30-6 and six this year when they've got their ent entire starting lineup in there. If Joel is even – 80% and maybe is limited somewhat as far as minutes. Maybe they cut down his minutes a little bit. How huge is that just to have his presence out there? It's enormous. Look, you know, the kind of year he's had, he's taken his game mentally and physically to a completely different level. It's almost like you're watching a totally different player as good as he has been to this point. None of it compares to what we watched this year. There is no matchup for him. He's a unique way of attacking in the modern NBA when everything is ball screen basketball, spread you out and shoot 45 threes a night. Who has weapons like that, that can take you down there and just physically overwhelm you. He can now, because he's patient down there, he gets what he wants. He doesn't drift as much. His stamina is better. So he can do it for longer stretches and deeper into the game. Uh, he's just a force that really nobody has an answer for up front short of how are you going to double team him? You can't play him single coverage. So you got to get clever with your schemes. And he's better at reading that than before. Um, I looked at it going into this. If he's perfectly healthy, I look at this as a 70, 75% Sixers, you know, win, win this series. Every game he doesn't play or potentially is limited in some way, take five or 10% off of that. So if he misses a game, I say, okay, now it's a 60, 65% chance they win this series. He misses a couple. Now you're looking at closer to a toss-up because I think Atlanta's that good. And if you're going to maybe steal one early, you're looking at a long series. But if he's out there 100% for game one, Sixers are, are going to get this thing done in five or six games. And, and that leads me to Ben Simmons because we've seen Ben in game five be aggressive, play downhill. But then we've seen the other Ben Simmons where he's <laughs> not that way. So it kind of goes back and forth. What do you think is going through his mind in situations like this? You know, I wish I could figure that out because I, what I say all the time when I watch him play and I break down film with him is, you know, what is he processing in, in terms of a, a, as an aggressive offensive player? Because there are opportunities there where he gets downhill and forget the transition stuff, because most of that, I think he does a decent job of reading. When should I be a scorer? I'm talking about the half court stuff when he gets off a ball screen or he catches that ball against a closeout defender and he starts to go into the lane. I would love to have like a screen at home so I could see what he's looking at to try to figure out sometimes why did he not take one more stride and extend to the rim? Because it, it's a process of information thing with Ben Simmons. I really believe it. And obviously if he has a couple of easy ones early in the game, it does seem to change his night. When he starts off and he has a hard time finding a seam or a gap, he doesn't get something easy. Maybe he misses a couple of free throws. It's like he shuts down a notch in terms of his confidence and he stops processing scoring opportunities for himself 
which are, which should be an enormous part of what they do offensively. So for me, I think first quarters are telling for Ben Simmons. And, and, and when he's playing like he did the other night, man, what a difference maker, because he does so many things to help you win. But when he doesn't play that way, John, with that last element, it leaves you so frustrated as a Sixers fan and, and you know, guys like us that cover this team. Uh, so hopefully, you know, he has some success early because it really can mean he's a different player. That is such a great point. And, and you know, when you're at the games and you see him warming up, he looks pretty good shooting the ball, you know, <laughs> yeah. shooting the jumpers and then shooting from three. And it just seems like maybe there's a mental block. I'm not saying he's afraid, but sometimes he, he doesn't want to do it. Or most of the time he doesn't want to do it. Is it kind of something that's hard to explain? Very. And it's, it's particularly, and this is what I talk to people about all the time about him and particularly interesting and intriguing and frustrating because you think what is every basketball player that makes it to that level like what's the first thing you learn how to do even even people that you know don't even play high school basketball you learn how to shoot put the ball in a basket right that's the first fun part of the game like everybody likes to do that there's a two elements to it one is the physical mechanics of the shot right so that's got to be there and they're not horrible with him when you watch him shoot by himself but there's a whole nother component it's the wiring do you think like a shooter thinks because shooting a basketball cannot be an afterthought. It has to be an anticipatory thing. You're waiting on the next one. So you're ready to do it. And then muscle memory takes over. The thought process doesn't interrupt that. When I see guys like Ben Simmons and there've been other guys throughout the game that I've analyzed over the years, there's something typically there that's interrupting the muscle memory process because they're not wired to think ahead of time about looking for a shot that I think is Ben Simmons biggest problem and when he gets to that mode where he has some success early he turns that switch off that's blocking all of that stuff and now it's downhill 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 and those are the nights we're like oh my god this is great look at Ben and then there's other nights where you know for a fact you can know that that switch got turned on he's not processing shooting anymore it's going to have to be something that he's going to have to get some chippies or putbacks or whatever it may be because he does not think like most guys think on a basketball court, which is anticipating the next shot. Very interesting. And, and it's interesting because in that game five against Washington, you saw them kind of completely change up the way they play. And Ben is starting at the five in a sense, and they go small. How were, how were you when you were watching that? How impressed were you with maybe the two-man game with Seth Curry and Tobias and just the way they changed everything up and then really started to get on a roll with that offense? Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And, and, you know, the other thing, the other element, and I've been in that building so many times since Ben Simmons has been there. It's amazing the electricity he generates when he plays aggressively. It's, it's just a difference maker. And, you know, they always have guys like that on the team. I think Maxie's doing that for him a little bit right now. TJ McConnell used to do that, that kind of thing. You know, get up, take his warm-ups off. It just changed the electricity in the building. And that's worth points at home. It just is. you got to derive energy from somewhere. When Ben plays like that, it's unbelievable the reaction he gets. You know, I got a, I got a group of, you know, my knucklehead friends that are Sixers fans that were on a group chat, whatever they play, just looking at their comments or reaction to it when he's different early. So that was impressive. And that small lineup can be very impressive. And they had great killer instinct the other night. Now, Washington is a porous defensive team. That helps when you don't have MB. You know, you put up 130 without a guy that could be the MVP of the league. That's a really bad defensive effort. Hawks are different. The second, especially the second half of the year with Nate McMillan, look at their analytics, just their defensive rating, completely different team with that. So they're, the Sixers are going to get a much uh, you know, heavy, uh, a heavier test 
defensively out of Atlanta, but that small lineup can be a real weapon when all of those guys are getting in attacking and playing free flowing. Uh, it's amazing. The shooters just seem like they're more confident too. When all those guys are hitting those gaps and getting into the lane, Cork Miles and Curry and Danny, those guys are ready to line them up and knock them down. You made a great point about the defense of the Hawks and how it's going to be a different series. And when you look at Clint Capella, I think he led the NBA in rebounding per game this year, and then he can block shots. What kind of presence is he, and how can you maybe try to get him out of the paint? Well, Clint Capella, I'm sure as good as he is and as good a defender as he is, the one thing I know that he's not used to being is Jarell Embiid's backpack because that's what he's going to look like down there when Embiid gets him on his back. So I don't care about the length and the agility and all that. That's all negated when 275 hits you in the sternum. You, you can't really react to that. You can't be as good off the feet. Now, look, he's always going to be a great help defender on ball screen action, but you are then leaving yourself really susceptible to offensive rebounding, which I think is going to be an enormous key in this series between Joel Simmons and Dwight Howard. That's a major factor because Capella will go after everything back there. And that means there are opportunities if he misses a block to get put back. So I think that's something to look for in this series. He's, he's legit. I love Clint's game, but that is something that you can attack them with if he's going to try to get blocks on drives. How about Trey Young? I mean, he is so much fun to watch. He's averaging 29 in these playoffs. What would you do if you're Doc Rivers as far as defending him and trying to slow him down? You got to mix them up. One of the things that they have on who's guarding him, one of the things that I love about the Sixers from a personnel standpoint, and, and if they get by this series, this is really going to pay dividends in the next round if they get the Nets. Because you, you just have to have enough personnel to guard these teams. And against a guy like Trey Young, he's going to get different looks. One is going to be a 6'10 guy that's laterally as quick as he is that can play off but still get a hand up on contested shots like Ben. That's enormous. Also, if, if, if Trey does get by him, because he's very crafty and elusive, to have 6'10 tracking you to the rim and you're looking over your shoulder, it's just a different feel than anything else he gets from any other team. You want to you switch that up? Let's go with Matisse Thibel, a guy with incredibly long arms, timing, and instincts. So even when you beat him off the dribble – the poking from behind, the constant harassing, coming from over the top and getting blocks. So Trey Young is going to get ridden from 35 feet into that hash mark with somebody that's constantly pursuing him. And then obviously you still have a guy like Danny Green who made his bones in this league as an elite defender in these situations. You can use him and Maxie's a guy who use his quickness. So the versatility of the number of guys, you've got to limit his efficiency. Trey Young is the key to this entire series. He cannot have efficient nights from the field or, or they're going to win games. So let's see what that, you know, what that uh, uh, Mount Rushmore of defenders I just mentioned could do against him. And that is something that has been really great to watch, especially at home. When you look at the other guys that the Hawks have, Brogdon Bogdanovich, I mean, he can shoot that three. He's shooting, what, 44% this year from three. And John Collins, he's around 40%. Uh, and then you got DeAndre Hunter. So how do those guys – make their impact in the game against the Sixers, especially if Joel is not there all the time. Everything is predicated by what Trey Young is creating because that guy, he's a nightmare. Look, he's, he's a far better offensive player. I thought he could be at the NBA level. I'll be the first to admit it. I saw him 10, 12 games into his freshman year when he took the country by storm with those numbers, leading the nation in assists and scoring. And everybody started watching Trey Young. When he got into the Big 12 schedule, I saw him a lot of nights, 10, 12 turnovers, guys getting into him, physically mauling him. And I said, man, I don't know if this guy's big and strong enough to do this next level. I was dead wrong. His skill level's that high. 
His confidence is that good. So everything's predicated off of him. That's how all of those guys get their shots, get their stuff. You have It's very similar to Curry and Damian Lillard. When you're extending your defense to 35 feet, it just creates things that leave openings and time for guys to make plays. That's what it's based on. But, again, I think the Sixers have as good a closeout speed to get to those guys, even when you load up on Trey Young a little bit, as any team in this league. That takes time away from guys like Collins and Gallinari and Herder and Bogdanovich and all those guys that are counting on open looks. Phillies is as equipped as anyone to deal with it. So if I'm going to put you on the spot, and uh, I don't want to see all your group texts uh, <laughs> from your buddies, but if I'm putting you on the spot, you, you know what Joel is right at this time, maybe, and maybe he's 80%, whatever, but who are you picking in this series? Sixers and six. Sixers and six. If Joel Embiid comes out on Sunday and he's 100%, like he looks 100% at least, uh, five, possibly. But the Hawks are better than people think. I was talking to some people there in Philly today, and I was a little bit getting concerned, getting too dismissive of the Atlanta Hawks because, you know, going into the year, if you said, hey, you guys are going to play the Atlanta Hawks in the second round of the playoffs, right? You'd think, first of all, that's probably not possible. And secondly, you think, okay, great. Who we played in the conference finals? Don't sleep on how good this team can be offensively with Trey Young. They can get on rolls. And he's put up some numbers against the Sixers in the past. So, to me, it's a, it's a six-gamer. I'd lay money on that one in Vegas, John. If you twisted my arm and I could make a little more, maybe I'd go five. But I don't know if the risk-reward on that bet is there. I, I think the Sixers win the series. They're going to play probably Brooklyn in the conference finals. That's who I think is going to win the other series in six games as well. All right. Well, your buddies are going to love that on the group text. So, uh, if you're looking at that series with the Nets and Bucks, you just said you think Brooklyn's getting out of there. Um, is there the theory? I mean, is it a correct theory sometimes where Nets and Bucks that could be a grueling series? I mean, that could be that could go seven games, right? So, yeah, is this advantageous for the Sixers if they can move on to the Eastern Conference Finals? Not with these two teams, and, and no. I'll tell you why. Now, they're just different. First of all, when you have three guys that are that level offensively, where on a given night, you really only need two to play great. And so there's never going to be pressure on all three every night. So, and the way that Nash can use them, where you only need two on the floor at a time, and you know, three to start the game, three to close the game. The rest of it is two for the most part. Guys are getting plenty of rest. When you have that kind of burden to share with two other superstars, man, does that take something off your plate? You know, you don't have to be Julius Randle and, and get 30 every night for your team to have a chance. You saw how he struggled and they didn't have a chance to win. Giannis has a ton of pressure on him in that series. He has to be sensational. He can't just be really good. There's got to be at least two or three nights. He's the best player on the floor for them to win that series. So there's a lot of pressure on him. And so if the Bucs go seven and get out, yeah, maybe that's a little bit better for the Sixers. I just don't see the Nets being taxed much at all because of the level of talent and the way they share the burden. Well, so, I mean, I know you you hold camps during the summer and you go through all these things. It is possible to put a bunch of guys together and only play eight regular season games and then put them in the playoffs and then go to the finals? You know, when you watch one of these, uh, you know, talent shows and at the bottom, it'll say, like, don't do this at home. Like, don't try that at home. Like, if you're if you're if you're an AAU team or a youth team or you're at my camp, don't think you're going to throw three guys together and make that happen. You're talking about three of the best offensive players in the history of this game. I personally think this is the greatest offensive raw scoring trio 
at the top of any roster in NBA history. That's what you have to deal with in playing that team. Wow. Better than the Golden State Warriors when they put them all together. I do think so, because I think that when you talk, start talking about the ability to beat you in every dimension, you know, obviously Curry and Durant could do that. When you start talking about Klay Thompson, as great as he is, he's not a guy that can break you down off the dribble to mid-range, deep, post you up, make plays for other people. Because all three of those guys are elite-level playmakers if they run into traffic, including Durant. Clay's not a playmaker on that level. He's not a guy that's going to beat you off the dribble to that level. You know, catch and shoot, yes. I mean, he's the second greatest of all time behind Curry. But in terms of the overall ability on every layer, you can beat a guy offensively. No, I think this one, this one has them beat. All right, here's my thing with Joel Embiid. If he's 100%, let's say he can get to 90%, 100%, whatever. Is there anybody on the Nets who can really stop him? No, they don't. And that's where you're going to have to attack them. And it's the same for the Bucs. Because if you really think about Giannis Antetokounmpo, I described him as a center with a live handle. I mean, that's really what he is. He, he beats you up physically inside of eight feet. And every now and then he'll mix in a 15-foot jumper. He can make a three every now and then. He guts you in early offense by getting into gaps and seams, and he's just way too big and strong. And Bede, same thing. That is their weakness. That is their susceptibility. You have to make that team play with five defenders below the foul line. You've got to commit extra help to somebody that can beat you in the paint because when you bring guys down from the top of the key, even if you miss, even if you turn it over, the starting point for that team to run up the floor in transition gives you a chance to get back. If you're taking a lot of threes and you're missing against a team like that and there's long rebounds and they're getting out the open floor with numbers with those three guys and then also a guy like Joe Harris who's going to make 70% of his open threes and probably half of his contested ones, you don't have a chance. That's why you've got to attack them differently and you've got to have a unique weapon. And there's only really three teams to me that have it. Philly, Milwaukee, and Denver with Jokic. They're the only three guys that could completely transform your game plan defensively to protect the paint. And, and that's what Philly has to do. So if you're Daryl Morey in the Sixers and you go back to that trade deadline when the Nets inched out the Sixers to get James Harden, it was going to be reportedly Ben Simmons, possibly Maxi Matisse Thybul, and then a couple, maybe two or three first-round draft picks. Do you do that? No, 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 I do not. And I said it at the time. And I, again, talking with all my boys running that by me, I said, no, I wouldn't do it. And here's why. In watching James Harden play, look, it's clear. This is his show, too. And I was really curious to see how they were going to sort that out. Because for me, if Kevin Durant's on my team, everything's running through Kevin Durant, like it, 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 particularly big situations. But so one of those two guys has got to take ownership of this team. And it was Harden clearly from the first time he stepped on the court. My team, my show, I dictate possessions. We do what I want. Very similar to Houston. Now, the guy in that spot that sets screens, it's screen dive, screen dive, screen dive, screen dive all night. He's always had a guy in that slot that's so willing to do that. That's not Joel Embiid. Now, I'm not saying that James Harden wouldn't throw the ball into Joel Embiid. Obviously, he would, but I'm saying I think after about three games, Joel Embiid would be like, all right, enough of this. Like, you just took 32 dribbles. I'm standing down in the paint with a guy on my back that can't guard me. I think the frustration level would have set in for Joel Embiid playing that style because I think that's the only style James Harden can play. And the Nets are, are, are acquiescing to his talents once again. It just so happens. The other two guys don't care because whenever they get the ball, they know they're good enough to get 30 efficiently, regardless of what James Harden does with the ball. 
I love your point there. By the way, listening to you, I, I just love watching you on ESPN break down the film and also listening to you talk ball. So I got to ask you, do you, do you have that desire inside of you to coach in the NBA? Oh, yeah. You know, honestly, John, I, I've had a desire to coach for a long time, but honestly, I've always been a guy that's more magnetized to the college game. I, I was, I've always envisioned myself running a D1 program. That's been my life dream. It's been my, I think my final chapter, maybe in this game, if I feel like it's my calling to do it the way I teach it, you know, doing all that coaching that I did with my AAU teams and, and going through that, a lot of that was trying to prepare myself and get the networking that I needed to show people what I was capable of doing. It hasn't happened to this point. I've come close a couple of times. I'm still holding out hope. But look, if it doesn't happen, uh, what I do now is the greatest job in the world. So I love being at ESPN. You know, 20 years, believe it or not, I've been here and, and hopefully be here a long time if I, if I don't get that opportunity. But they know if that opportunity arises, they'll, get, they'll, they'll send me off with their blessing because they'd love to see me have that opportunity. I think I could be a big difference maker for a program in a way I could recruit and coach. We'll see if I ever get the chance, though. And you know the game in and out. And also, uh, today's NBA with the three-point shooting, how much money would you make in the NBA today? <laughs> oh, you're hurting me. Listen, it was three years of PTSD therapy to get, you know, to get this out of my head because the numbers, oh, the numbers changed dramatically uh, in terms of salaries. Right at the time, number one, I hurt my knee at the best year of my career at the end of the year. That was my major injury, 95-96, led the league in three-point shooting, won the three-point shootout. And I was a free agent and I tore my ACL in game 81. And I, I literally never really recovered fully over the next four years. Uh, and then the numbers dramatically changed because the TV rights changed, everything changed. So now who knows when I see, first of all, just the style of play, the fact that you can take any three at any time without any hesitation and no guilt over, is this a good shot or not? You know, guys fanning out and taking threes on a two on one break. That was not part of the ideology when I played. I had a green light, but the green light for my era meant something entirely different than this green light. So just that freedom, I can't even imagine what my worth would be with the percentages that I shot and also having, you know, that doubt taken away of, is this a good shot or not? And just go let it fly every time you get it. I, I, I wish I could put a number on it, but, but believe me, I'd have a much bigger house, I think. <laughs> and I'm sure you wish analytics had come in a long time ago with the oh, three. There's no, there's no doubt about that. You know, and, and, and looking at certain groups and how they play together, like none of that stuff was looked at and your impact on winning based on just the threat that you were and occupying guys. I like get track all of that stuff now and it adds value. There's no question a guy like me, you're as valuable right now as you ever would have been at any time in NBA history. There's no doubt. Everybody's looking to add more shooting. Just ask the Sixers what they did in the offseason for this team, adding Danny Green and Seth Curry. They knew it wasn't good enough. That's an archaic way of playing. Mid-range twos, dunks, and free throws don't get you to 125, and that's what it takes a lot of nights in the NBA. By the way, did you hear the point that Daryl Morey made that he feels that corner three should not be worth three points? Yeah, I did see that. I did see that. You know, that, that's it's funny to me, too, because my spot – was, was the 45s, the, the two wings. Like, that's where I lived because the, the great post players I played with were at either block. I was always in that second double team spot. So wherever the double team came from, typically there'd be one kick out to the top of the key, they'd rotate, and then that second pass went to the shooter, and that was my spot. I could shoot from the corners too. I like the corners. Um, but, 
Yeah, I heard him say that. I don't buy it. And that's, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, this is what the league wanted. They wanted it to look this way. I think it's gotten more dramatic than they even imagined. But, you know, on most nights, you look at an NBA box score, and you're going to get somewhere between 65 to 80 three-point attempts. I mean, think about that. I was on a team that led the NBA in three-point shooting when I was in Washington, and I'm pretty sure we took, if I can remember, 18 a night. And we were lighting it up, you know, so it's just the way that shot is viewed has completely changed again. And it's trickled all the way down to the grassroots level and, you know, camps and, and, and watching AAU and high school basketball. It's the way the game's played. Now, what used to be thought of or what you wanted to get on a possession is not the way these coaches think now. You're so right. And maybe the two guys that I would pay to see right now, Steph Curry and Dame Lillard, they're shooting from the logo sometimes. Yeah, right. So if you're going to give us two and a half points from the corner, I guess you get four and a half from where they're shooting from. I mean, I think they should know. go four at least. Yeah, Trey Young, Lillard, Curry. Right, those are the three guys that are in a separate category from everybody else. And what Curry did, I mean, uh, Lillard did the other night, that 55 point game, and and a couple of the degrees of difficulty on some of the shots he hit late. You know, spinning, going away from the basket at 32 feet and rising up with a guy on your back. I mean. I said the one he hit in that game, I said, I think that might be more difficult than any shot Steph Curry's ever hit in his life. But that's how tough that one particular shot was. Uh, and I played it back like 10 times just to look at the, the aerodynamics on what he did and, and the, the biomechanics. It's like that just almost impossible. To, and also, by the way, not even having sight of the target until the very last second before you let go of the ball. Really amazing, and and, there's, and it, look, it's fun for us. You know, we'll watch another guy tonight in Luka Doncic. You know, yeah. and watch watch him control the series, and his three point shooting is a big factor. Yeah, I, I, I'm telling you, uh, I was 20 years too late as well. Sportscasters are making a lot less money in Philadelphia, so we're both 20 years too late. I hear you, man. It's very true. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, before uh, we go, and, and we really appreciate this, Philly loves to hear you talk basketball. Tell us about the camps you have, and, and down near the shore, right? Uh, yeah, well, they're, they're actually closer to Philly. So Pittman, New Jersey, it's literally about 20 minutes from the bridges. Walt Whitman Ben Franklin, there's a there's a there's a, a recreation facility called Total Turf. It is incredible. Five hardwood courts under one roof, and there's a lot more there than that. But the basketball facility alone to be able to run a camp there. Uh, this is my 14th year of running the Tim Legler basketball camp in South Jersey. I had moved around a few times, and now I'm home for good at Total Turf because the facility is off the charts. And I'm proud of what it's become, John. I mean, we sell it out every year. We're actually way ahead of where we would normally have to cut it off because I'm two months out from the camp. And we're already posting my wife, the camp coordinator, she's posting out, you know, constant social media, like, please get in because these spots are going to be gone soon. It's a high level teaching camp, but you don't have to be a high level player. I want people to understand that 
boys and girls. It's eight to 16. It's all week long, two different sessions. So if you're a little guy, eight, and nine or 13 to 16, the old ones, they all come in the morning session, eight, eight to noon. And then we have a half hour for lunch for the counselors, 1230 to 430 to 12, to, to the 10 to 12 year olds. And we put you with players that are comparable in talent. So if you're a beginner, you got to learn the absolute basic fundamentals. You're going to be at a station group with kids in the same boat. When you go to the games, you're going to be matched up with kids of similar ability. You know, the better players, more advanced, because we'll get kids. I mean, I've had kids come through their division one players. I've had kids that have never touched the ball before. It's great because I love teaching the game. It's not daycare. It's a legit camp. If you want your kid to get a lot better and understand the game a lot better. And most importantly, John, I pride myself in giving them a blueprint when they leave because they don't know how do I get better? What do I do? What are the drills? What do I work on? What's important at, for me at this age and stage? They're going to get that blueprint, and they're going to walk out of there with a much better idea of what they do, need to do to get better. And then final component, I always say every coach's responsibility mainly is when your player leaves you, whether it's a camp, an AU team, a high school coach, college coach, whatever it may be, that kid needs to love the game a little bit more than they did when they got there. And that's a big part of what we're going to do there. Well, I love your passion about this. What's the website they can go Perfect. to? Decide? Glad yeah. you asked. I almost forgot to say that. So it's timleglerbasketballcamp.com. Everything you need to know is on there, including online registration. Everything you need to know, like I said, two sessions. I think my wife told me today, I think we got about 30 spots left in each session before we're shut out because I want to make sure I keep it at a certain number because I want a lot of individual attention with me. Uh, and, and it's an important part of it. But timleglerbasketballcamp.com. That's all you need to know, man. I, I, I take pride. I'm biased, but I think it's the best basketball camp in South Jersey. I love it. And I, I love your passion. And, and kids, you can go out there, learn the corner three, and maybe someday get that NBA. <laughs> or if you're smart, learn the four that we're talking about that Lillard and Curry and Young shoot. And then you really are going to get paid. I'm sure there will be the four-point shot one day. So you're right about that. Tim, we really appreciate it. And nobody breaks down basketball like you do so that we can understand it as well. Uh, so appreciate, we appreciate that very much. I really do. And I, you know, you know, man, I've been in Philadelphia. I grew up in Richmond, went to LaSalle. I've been in this area ever since. So Philadelphia is a big part of my heart. And I love being able to connect with the Philadelphia sports fans. And hopefully every time I speak, I just try to explain it in a way that hopefully makes it a little bit more fun to watch the game. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I, and I tell you what, uh, I love being down the shore this time of the year because I'm seeing some Sixers flags on the cars down the shore. So you can watch Maybe an NBA Finals game down the shore, which is a great thing in a summer. Oh, we are all hoping for that. I know I see you at the shore all the time, so I'm sure I'm sure I'll see you down there again this summer. You got it. Thanks so much for the time, right. Tim, and good luck with the camp as well. Thanks, John. Who am I? I'm the greatest. Who am I? I'm so flagrant. <laughs>